This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So basically, you have taken a patient with mild hypothyroidism, made them hyperthyroid, and then treated the symptoms of hyperthyroidism with another medication, which to any reasonable person makes no sense, right? You should just treat the condition appropriately. And this can be really dangerous. Welcome to Wellness, Fact versus Fiction. I'm Dr. Danielle Bellardo, and I'm a cardiologist who loves evidence-based medicine and nutrition science. But as a millennial, I've watched endless wellness fads take over social media. It's my mission to get to the bottom of things by bringing on the top expert physicians and scientists to help us determine what is fact versus fiction when it comes to your health. It's time to leave the pseudoscience behind and become empowered when it comes to our wellness. Hi everyone. Welcome back to wellness fact versus fiction. I received so much feedback on the last two episodes with Kevin Klatt and Spencer Nadalski. People were craving more information about adrenal fatigue and thyroid diseases. So we had to bring on the endocrine mythbuster herself, Dr. Artie Thangadu, to dive even deeper on these social media hot topics and other hormone misinformation. Dr. Artie is a triple board certified endocrinologist who is highly skilled in diabetes remission, endocrinology, metabolism, weight loss, lifestyle medicine, nutrition, and health coaching. She started her own practice a few years ago to offer a different option outside of the traditional healthcare system that provides patients more time and support so they don't seek out alternative unsafe measures. She has an incredible resume with top-notch training and a proven track record of superior patient outcomes, medical competence, and compassion. She truly is debunking so much misinformation on social media about hormones and uses her own social media to help educate people. Today's episode covers the difference between adrenal fatigue and adrenal insufficiency, what hormone tests are a complete ripoff and which are actually accurate, the highly dangerous side effects of adrenal and thyroid supplements, which I personally have seen in my practice with patients. And I think this is a really important topic to take a listen to. Oftentimes, even in cardiology, we see patients that are on various supplements started by other providers that they found online. And then it turns out they're actually causing significant harm. The misinformation about hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism and the difference between the two, the myths about hormonal imbalance and much, much more. I learned so much from this episode and I know you're all gonna be shocked. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to be back this week to do some more medical myth busting with my friend, board certified endocrinologist and expert endocrine myth buster, Dr. Arthi Thangadu. And she is here and she is amazing. And I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. So tell everyone a little bit about you, um, just to give them a little background about you, and then we'll get into some of the myths because we have many. (laughs) Yes, so many endocrine myths. So I'm an endocrinologist, which means I 
did med school, then internal medicine, then a fellowship in endocrinology, and am very, very passionate about diabetes and thyroid health. And so I started my own practice a couple of years ago to offer patients just a different option outside of the traditional healthcare system where now we can give patients a lot more time and support in these very challenging diseases. Metabolic disease is challenging for sure and needs more support than I feel is delivered traditionally. So I have my own practice and I also educate patients through social media and I have been loving it since. It's amazing. Well, can you explain to everyone what endocrinology is as a specialty? Sure. So endocrinology is the study of hormones. So you may be wondering why diabetes then? Well, insulin is a hormone. So diabetes is just because of prevalence is the most common disease that we treat, probably about 80%. And then thyroid is next. So we treat everything thyroid, thyroid cancer, hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism, and all types of those things. And then other hormones too. So cortisol issues from the adrenal glands, male and female reproductive hormonal issues, any pituitary hormonal issue is under the world of endocrinology. Amazing. Yeah. So you you guys will notice a common theme in my podcast where I you'll probably hear this a bunch because a lot of people I interview are subspecialists. So Arthi and I both to subspecialize, we both did our three years of internal medicine training and became board certified in internal medicine. And then I went on to do three years of cardiology fellowship and Arthi went on to do her endocrinology fellowship. And so even as a general physician, although I have a grasp, you know, we both did the same internal medicine training, which we have to do to subspecialize. And I have a grasp on hormones and the basics of, you know, endocrinology, but it is so incredibly complex and nuanced. And I think when you become a subspecialist, you really respect and appreciate other subspecialists for that reason, because I cannot imagine managing hormonal issues and disorders without your training. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I feel like after internal medicine training, you're kind of you're at this height of your career and you feel very confident. And then you can either go on as an internist or you can subspecialize. And, and after subspecialty training, I was like, oh my gosh, the depth and breadth of endocrinology is so deep. And I had no idea what I didn't know before that it made me so much less confident about my other specialties, you know, and that same to you, like I, I don't know enough about cardiology to feel comfortable managing cardiac diseases, knowing what I know about endocrinology. Totally. I feel the same. And so it's funny. Cause like when I think of myself as a medicine resident, reading an echo report and thinking I knew what it meant and thinking I knew how to manage something. And then I think of myself as a cardiology fellowship, reading echo, and then becoming a cardiologist, reading the actual echoes and understanding how vastly different I understand, uh, heart pathology, pathophysiology and everything. And that kind of gets into segues into what we're going to discuss, which is the wild amount of misinformation that streams on social media that truthfully is not coming from endocrinologists, the misinformation about hormones and about the thyroid, about the adrenal glands is coming from people who are not endocrinologists. And so I just want to emphasize here that this is your specialty and you are just like me, very guideline aligned, evidence-based medicine. And so I thought we could go through and debunk some of the common myths and misconceptions. So we had Spencer Nadalski and Kevin Klatt on to talk about a brief, well, it wasn't brief, it was a long episode, but we did an overview of functional medicine, but I'm excited to get into the weeds with the 
hormonal aspects with you since this is your expertise. So we did cover a bit of adrenal fatigue with them, but I was wondering if we could actually circle back and cover that again with you. So you could actually go through what are real endocrine disorders of the adrenals and what are not? And what are these tests that patients are getting that tell them that they have, quote unquote, adrenal fatigue and kind of just give us the landscape of what is fact versus fiction here? Yeah. So first of all, the adrenals are an essential organ for life. So they produce a lot of different hormones. They produce cortisol, which is kind of the hot topic that adrenal fatigue kind of hinges upon, but also they produce hormones that affect the metabolism of different electrolytes and also sex hormones. So super, super important little organ that sits on top of the kidneys. So I'm going to talk more about cortisol because that is kind of where the adrenal fatigue myth starts from. And so there are absolutely disorders of cortisol. There is adrenal insufficiency where the body does not produce sufficient cortisol. And there is Cushing's where the body produces too much cortisol. And endocrinology, a lot of things are dependent on the HPA axis. So the brain and different glands work together. Can you kind of outline what what HPA axis stands for and what that kind of means for anyone that's listening that isn't in medicine enough? Super helpful. (laughs) It's a hypothalamic pituitary axis. So there is the hypothalamus that talks to the pituitary gland in the brain and the pituitary gland sends signals to other organs like the thyroid, the adrenal glands, the gonads, to secrete their specific hormones. So the cortisol access is CRH, then ACTH, which is secreted from the pituitary and talks to the adrenal glands and tells the adrenals to secrete cortisol. And so some of the testing in endocrinology is very confusing because they all reflect this entire axis. So sometimes, for example, if your adrenal glands are not working to produce cortisol, your cortisol may be low and it's because of the adrenals, the pituitary gland in the brain sends a signal through ACTH to tell the adrenal glands to make more cortisol. So the pituitary hormone will actually be high if the adrenals are broken and not producing cortisol. So that can be confusing to a patient who says, well, my hormone is high. How are you, why are you telling me my hormone is low, right? Because there's multiple different tests and you have to have a really deep understanding of the whole picture and the feedback loops to be able to make a diagnosis in endocrinology. And I'll tell you, it is really confusing. When I was an internal medicine resident, like I had a lot of trouble with this. So It was just a lot of practice and reading and more practice and seeing more patients that, you know, it really clicked for me. So it's not easy. And so I don't blame people for being confused by this because it's confusing. So for example, adrenal insufficiency is when we aren't getting enough cortisol. And so that can be due to a problem in the adrenal glands, or it can be due to a problem in the pituitary gland and the labs look different for both of those. And on the flip side, There's Cushing's where there's excessive cortisol, which can cause things like diabetes, hypertension, some pathognomonic physical exam findings like wide purple abdominal stretch marks, moon facies is what we hear all the time, things like that. And that can be from the pituitary gland or the adrenal gland. 
So the, the thought of adrenal fatigue. Yeah. This, this thing that runs on social media, like as if it's, you know, everyone who's like, just for anyone who didn't hear the last episode with Spencer and um, Kevin, adrenal fatigue, a quick reminder is the made up diagnosis that is really perpetuated by functional medicine. That is this nonspecific, all of these symptoms of fatigue, difficulty, losing weight, difficulty sleeping or et cetera, all these brain fog, brain fog. Yeah. <laughs> all these other issues. And so this not real diagnosis gets blamed on cortisol. And if you, if you could just review also the tests they do for this, cause I know plenty of people listening. And as I mentioned before, and as Arthi just mentioned as well, we never blame the patient. It is not your fault. If you have spent a ton of money on these tests from a functional medicine person, like these specific tests that Artie's going to tell you about, like the Dutch tests and things like that. But um, if you've spent money on these tests or done anything in this area, it is not your fault. We literally and completely understand because we are all victims of misinformation and the patients are certainly the number one victims. And so we don't blame you. We're here to help you make better choices going forward. So no yeah. blame on the patient. No blame on the patient. And, you know, people are looking for solutions and I'm the first person and not the last person to say our healthcare system is very broken, right? Like patients are not getting enough time with their endocrinologist or their primary care doctor. And so they're looking for solutions as any of us would because they're not getting the support and education that they need in traditional um, delivery of healthcare. So it's not the patient's fault. It's the whole systems. It's a systematic issue that we need to address. And this is one way that we're addressing it by informing the public and patients. And so there's a lot of these tests that are very, very expensive. So for example, I think a cortisol test in for my patients is like six bucks. Okay. And so I, I know all the cash prices, not by heart, but I can look up all the cash prices for my testing to compare it with one patient's insurance and two with all these other nonsensical tests out there. So a cortisol check is not an expensive thing. And so the Dutch test is this dried urine test that can be done at home. And it spits out this report that has all sorts of hormones and hormonal precursors, all sorts of confusing information that nobody really knows what to do with. And they claim that it's evidence-based, but when you go read the evidence, there are these tiny studies, like 16 patients in one, 26 patients in the other, and they're all industry-funded. They're funded by the company that makes the Dutch test, and the data still, even though it's funded by that company, it's still horrible. It's still bad. There's no statistical significance in these studies, and the test is like $400. I think the last time I checked, it's like multiple hundreds of dollars to give really, really confusing data. And also a lot of these practitioners use serial salivary cortisol. So they check the cortisol throughout the day and they tell patients that it's abnormal when their afternoon cortisol is low. But the circadian pattern of cortisol secretion is that cortisol peaks in the morning and then it troughs later in the day. So this is actually normal. I've seen these, I mean, patients send me these tests. And I'm like, so they're telling you that you have a normal circadian pattern of cortisol. Like, what are you even trying to assess here? This doesn't tell me anything. And so, except that you're normal. And so what the, the values for a cortisol that we measure is based on that morning level. So 
we never order a random cortisol on just a random outpatient. We always tell the patient do it before 9am because that's the only time of day it's valid, kind of like testosterone. Testosterone peaks in the morning. As we know, men have erections in the morning. They wake up with erections. That's because testosterone peaks in the morning. So if you check a testosterone in the afternoon and it's low in quotations, it's not really low. It's just that you checked it at the wrong time and you have to check it at the right time. So like I said, hormones are very complex. So there's a lot of these very expensive tests that you can do at home but they're not validated and they're not accurate and they're very expensive. Whereas the, the actual validated tests for cortisol are, are inexpensive. And I'll tell you what those are too, to, to make it clear. Yeah, I just want you to clarify because anyone listening, the adrenal insufficiency is a real diagnosis. This is a true endocrinology, very serious diagnosis for which you have mm -hmm. to treat and see an endocrinologist for versus adrenal fatigue because sometimes people conflate the two versus adrenal mm -hmm. fatigue is this one that's made up by, by functional medicine. So yeah, yeah. So, doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Arthi's going to kind of give you the rundown on how to break down and know the difference. Cause sometimes people will chime in and say, but I do have adrenal insufficiency. True adrenal insufficiency is real. Yeah. So the difference is that adrenal insufficiency is, has a definitive diagnosis and we can treat it. Whereas adrenal fatigue is this vague diagnosis based on a lot of symptoms, but no diagnostic testing but these symptoms can also be due to a lot of things. So you might be wondering, you know, why is it such a big deal that adrenal fatigue is a made up diagnosis? Well, it's a big deal because if you have all of these symptoms and we anchor on a diagnosis that is not real or treatable, then we potentially miss another real organic diagnosis that you can have treated and fixed. And so that's one major problem for it. So fatigue, weight gain, cognitive issues, brain fog, this can be due to real problems like iron deficiency anemia or hypothyroidism or some other important diagnosis that we don't want to miss because we want, we want you to get better. And the other thing that is a big problem with adrenal fatigue is the treatments. And again, that's in quotations are these adrenal support supplements, which are highly, highly dangerous. And so what these adrenal support supplements usually contain are bovine adrenal glands. So cow adrenal, like they dry and pulverize and make them into tablets. And Mayo Clinic did a study of them under, I think, mass spec, um, but they studied these and they also contain T3, so active thyroid hormone, even though that wasn't disclosed on the labeling. And so, of course, you know, for most people, a steroid will make them feel better in the short term, but steroids cause a lot of other problems like diabetes, hypertension, cataracts, skin thinning, and dependence on them. So actually taking a steroid for a long time can cause adrenal insufficiency, which I'll go into more detail in a second. And But if you are on these bovine <laughs> adrenal glands for a long time, your adrenals will essentially shut down. Your body will say, hey, I got my, my cortisol from somewhere else. I don't need to make it anymore. So then you stop the supplement and you end up in the hospital with 
really low blood pressure, or you could die from adrenal insufficiency. Unreal. Yeah. So these are really, really dangerous. And T3, active thyroid hormone, can cause cardiac arrhythmias. (laughs) Funny story, I have a friend, actually our little sons are friends in school, and this dad is an electrophysiologist, so cardiologist with training in electrophysiology for, for those of you listening. And he came up to me at his son's birthday party and was like, hey, is thyroid management different from when I was in internal medicine? Is there a reason that we're trying to suppress all these patients' TSHs? Because all these patients keep coming in with AFib and they say their doctor is telling them to have a really low TSH. And this is a result of functional medicine because there's a lot of misdiagnosis and overdiagnosis of thyroid disease and overuse of T3 and other non-evidence-based diagnoses and treatments of thyroid. But yeah, so T3, first of all, taking a supplement with stuff that's not on the label should scare everybody, but T3 can be really dangerous because it can cause heart arrhythmias, palpitations, anxiety, insomnia, osteoporosis, all kinds of bad things. So The problem with adrenal fatigue is really the anchoring on a diagnosis, missing other diagnoses, and the treatments are potentially really dangerous. If someone gets a diagnosis from a functional medicine provider from above, in quotes, I'm using air quotes, adrenal fatigue, and they paid $500 for this Dutch test, and they've been told they have a hormone imbalance and all these things by these supplements, if they go to an endocrinologist, they come see you, what tests are you actually doing to evaluate them and what are the actual true diagnoses that you're with the adrenal glands, starting with the adrenal glands, and then we'll get into thyroid. If a patient comes to me with with a diagnosis of adrenal fatigue, and this unfortunately does happen <laughs> fairly often, I review the tests that they've had and really try to explain it to them first and gain an understanding of where they're coming from. Because like we said before, this is not the patient's fault. They're looking for solutions. And then we go through a clinical history, like what came about that got you to this diagnosis. Because adrenal insufficiency, for example, does have typical symptoms like dizziness on standing, hypotension, weight loss. They may have abdominal cramping, hyperpigmentation of their skin or palms, lots of different things that would actually make me concerned for adrenal insufficiency. But oftentimes these patients don't. So the workout may not be necessary. A laboratory workup may not be necessary, but if it is, or if they've been on animal steroid for a long time, we will want to make sure they're not adrenally insufficient because if they are, they'll have to be tapered off those steroids. We can't just stop them immediately. And so for adrenal insufficiency, the, the test is an ACTH stimulation test. So basically patients are injected with synthetic ACTH. Their cortisol is checked at time zero. So before the injection at 30 minutes and 60 minutes. And we see how their adrenals respond. If they respond appropriately, there's no diagnosis of adrenal insufficiency. If they don't respond appropriately, then there is a diagnosis of adrenal insufficiency. And if it's because of the steroid that they were taking from the adrenal supplements, then we may wean them off. But if not, we'll have to treat them. And these patients are often on lifelong steroid treatment that we manage for physiologic replacement. And then on the flip side, if a patient is secreting too much cortisol, we use three tests. So Cushing's or cortisol excess is a challenging diagnosis. And it's not one we take lightly (laughs) because the treatments often are surgical. So we do an overnight dexamethasone suppression test 
usually that's the first one. There may be some caveats to that, but then if that is abnormal, like basically a patient gets tablet of dexamethasone at 11 o'clock the, the night before the test, and then we check their cortisol in the morning. And as we talked about before, getting cortisol from an exogenous source or a pill should make the body stop producing it. So if in the morning the cortisol is low, then that's normal. But if the cortisol is higher than it should be, then that's abnormal. And so then we would move on to a confirmatory test, which is a midnight salivary cortisol. We usually do two of those um, and a urine, a 24-hour urine-free cortisol. So if two, at least two out of three of those tests are abnormal, then we would do further workup to figure out what's going on as far as a pituitary or adrenal tumor or if the adrenals are secreting too much in another way. So for anyone listening, that was so perfectly and eloquently said. I appreciate it so much. And uh, for anyone listening who's, you know, mind may be kind of going in circles now, you know, endocrinology, this is the perfect example of how complex endocrinology is. Like this is the perfect example. I wish, by the way, I had this podcast episode to listen to before my internal medicine board exam, because you just did such a great job explaining it. Because even after four years of med school and three years of medicine residency, I remember studying this portion for my boards thinking, wow, this is so challenging, like, and so complex. And as you're listening, even if you don't absorb everything that we're discussing at this time, I think it's just important to acknowledge that this is so complex and that issues of the hormones should really be dealt with when it comes to things like cortisol, when it comes to things like your adrenal glands, your thyroid, diabetes, you should really be working with an endocrinologist who understands not only what kind of test to use, but when to use it. Because there's a lot that goes into pretest probability, specificity, sensitivity. And we kind of touched on this on a, another podcast about how just evaluating, just knowing in your specialty when it's clinically indicated and, you know, to eliminate the risk of having more false positives and things like that. So I, I just think that it was really great that you went through even just the testing algorithm for this, because a lot of people, you know, when you see something on an Instagram page, just a slide, that's just like a pretty, you know, Canva kind of picture that describes adrenal fatigue and says, buy this test and then buy these supplements. It sounds so simple. And it's the answer. It's the, you know, answer to all of your symptoms. When in reality, it is such a complex, the HPA access and all of this is so incredibly complex. And I wouldn't dare order a cortisol test because I know I would do it wrong. I just would send them to endocrine. <laughs> so um, thank you for clarifying that. And of course, we have to touch on thyroid because this is the other area that is wrought with misinformation. And as a cardiologist in California, I've been really surprised. So I've seen a ton of patients prescribed by naturopaths, a lot of armor thyroid for TSHs that aren't that high. And I agree with the other cardiologists who mentioned that there's just this over-treatment of what people consider hypothyroidism. And a lot of it by naturopaths with this with armor thyroid, not to generalize them, but it's just what I've seen in California often. And I see them, they come to see me because they end up with atrial fibrillation and they end up with palpitations or SVT or atrial tac. And it's mm -hmm. because of the medication they're on. So do you mind explaining to everyone a bit about the thyroid hormone, just the background? What are the different tests? Like what's the difference between T3, T4, TSH, and all this lingo? And how do you guys treat it in evidence-based way versus what are we seeing on Instagram and what is happening in functional medicine with the thyroid? 
Yeah. So I think the thyroid is such a confusing space because there's so much misinformation out there. And so I really feel for patients in they're looking for solutions and they're getting all of these um, different ideologies to, to treatment and it's really confusing. And so I hope to be there to clarify some of that for patients. And one thing that we should point out is, so there's the Institute of Functional Medicine. Functional medicine was ba basically born in the 90s. It was created by a non-physician, non-clinician even, I think it was like a PharmD or something like that. And there's this Institute of Functional Medicine that he founded. And the hormonal education on that is like a few hours. I don't even think it's 40 hours. I think it's like 17 hours or something like that. I've looked at it. I haven't looked at it in a while, but it's very, very limited. And that's in comparison with my fellowship that was two full years, more than 8,000 hours of clinical work, grand rounds, presentations, so many talks, lectures, a board exam, multiple tests to get to that board exam. You know, it's just, you can't even compare the breadth of knowledge from somebody who's done a functional medicine certification that is not accredited by anybody to what an endocrinologist goes through for training. So I know that it's hard for patients, but you should always look up your physician before you see them. Make sure that they are the type of physician that you're seeing. If you want to see a functional medicine acupuncturist, fine, do that, but make sure you know that that's what you're doing. And so there are like websites that you can look up board certifications, licensure, what their degree actually is, and make sure you're, you know what you're seeing. But yes, so on to the thyroid, my favorite beautiful butterfly-shaped organ that sits in the neck. So there's multiple different kinds of thyroid disease, hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism, and structural thyroid disease, thyroid nodules, and thyroid cancer. I think the most misinformation is with hypothyroidism. So I think that's probably the best place to start. So hypothyroidism is usually due to Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So an autoimmune destruction of the thyroid that eventually causes the thyroid to stop working very well. And fun fact, I have Hashimoto's. <laughs> So usually Hashimoto's is passed down through families. And that's how I found out because my both sides of my family have um, Hashimoto's. So I just kind of wanted to see if I have antibodies, but I have normal thyroid function and I don't take thyroid medication yet. So there's this huge thing online about how Hashimoto's itself without thyroid dysfunction causes symptoms. Well, we don't have any of evidence to support that. So whether we learn that it does 10 years from now, you know, I don't know what's going to happen at that point. But as far as we know right now, just having the antibodies to the thyroid, like TPO, thyroid peroxidase antibodies or thyroglobulin antibodies does not mean all that much, except that you need to have your TSH checked more frequently. And there's no indication or evidence to support that we need to be decreasing these antibodies. And as somebody who has these antibodies and as an endocrinologist, I don't do things to try to reduce my TPO antibodies because there's no data to support that that's going to help in any way or slow down the progression. So I have had patients who have very mildly elevated thyroid peroxidase antibodies, like 10, okay? And they have profound hypothyroidism and we treat them and all is well. I have patients who have had TPO antibodies in the 30,000s, so super sky high, but their TSH is normal. They're perfectly asymptomatic. They only had these checked 
from some random doctor somewhere. And that's the only reason they knew. So the level of antibody does not correlate with the severity or progression of disease. So it's really important to distinguish the antibodies from actual hypothyroidism. And so what Hashimoto's is, is these autoantibodies basically target their own thyroid and over time destroy it. Some patients are literally, we have congenital hypothyroidism, little tiny babies with hypothyroidism. And some people don't get diagnosed with hypothyroidism ever in their life. And so it's really quite unpredictable. And so we can't really rely on these antibodies to tell us more than that they're present and you have a higher risk of developing uh, Hashimoto's at some time in your life. About five-ish percent of people with Hashimoto's don't have presence of these antibodies too. So even if you don't have these antibodies, doesn't mean that that's not what's going on if you have hypothyroidism. Most patients with hypothyroidism, unless they've had their thyroid removed for some reason, um, are it's due to Hashimoto's. Then, you know, what testing do we do? So the most important, useful, sensitive test for hypothyroidism is TSH. And there is so much misinformation around this. Um, there just, it's so much. So a couple of the myths that we see all the time are reverse T3, that we need to check reverse T3 because reverse T3 if it's high, inhibits T3. Well, T3 is the most potent inhibitor of TSH, and it is so much more potent than reverse T3, and reverse T3 is rapidly degraded. So while in theory that might make sense, clinically and based on evidence, it, it's not a solid argument. It does not hold water. So and there are people who are like, well, reverse T3 isn't that expensive. So what's the harm in checking it? Well, the harm in checking it is that one, it's confusing because if it is high, well, what do you do with it? And two, while it is not that expensive, like I think the study said it costs on average $25. I think these are all based on government reimbursement. So commercial insurance plans could be billed much, much more. But on the flip side, TSH costs like $3. So while $25 doesn't sound like that much, it's almost 10 times the cost of TSH, which is the actual evidence-based test. So it's not cost-effective, it's not effective, and it's not beneficial to patients. It's just more confusing. First of all, thyroid is confusing in general because of the whole feedback loop issue, but people try to make it more confusing for their own financial gain, and that's that's just not okay. So that's the issue with reverse T3. We talked about the pituitary gland and the pituitary does talk to the thyroid. So it uses a hormone called TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone that does exactly what its name says it should. It stimulates the thyroid to produce thyroid hormone. Most of that is T4, which then gets peripherally converted to T3, which is active thyroid hormone. And so in theory, checking a free T3 would be really, really helpful because we would like to know the, the active thyroid hormone. However, the problem with free T3 is not the theory, it's the actual test. So the assays that we have for free T3 are not accurate, the ones that we have commercially available. So that's why we don't rely on free T3. The best test that we have is TSH. So TSH is really the best test to check for primary hypothyroidism or 
hypothyroidism that originates in the thyroid. And because it's a pituitary hormone, remember, it will be high if the thyroid is underactive because the pituitary is screaming at the thyroid to make thyroid hormone, but the thyroid is broken, so it's not. Oh, wait, so sorry, quick question. So what do you do if someone's got a very, very high TSH, but a normal free T4? You still just treat to the TSH? Yeah, you treat to the TSH. And the goal TSH for patients with hypothyroidism is a little bit tighter than the reference range. The reference range is usually about 0.45 to 4.5, but we usually treat to 0.5 to 2 because patients typically feel better in that range. Gotcha. And as people like to say, we don't, but we actually do care about how our patients feel. (laughs) We just don't want to over-treat the hypothyroidism. So what we see all the time is I've seen multiple patients over-treated and with symptoms of hyperthyroidism. So anxiety, insomnia, atrial fibrillation, tachycardia, This is exactly what I've seen. So patients who originally had a TSH that was like slightly above normal get treated with this uh, large amount of armor thyroid, et cetera. And then they have these hyperthyroid symptoms with a low TSH. And then they get put on beta blockers. Yeah. (laughs) And then they feel crummy from the beta blockers, right? And so so basically you have taken a patient with mild hyperthyroid thyroidism made them hyperthyroid and then treated the symptoms of hyperthyroidism with another medication, which to any reasonable person makes no sense, right? You should just treat the condition appropriately. And this can be really dangerous. So I know we see this as outpatients, but I have seen patients die from hyperthyroidism in the hospital, like literally like you know, as physicians, we've all been there in residency in the middle of the night, holding somebody's mom and crying on the floor because mm-hmm. their 25-year-old son died from something that they didn't need to die from. You know, that was actually one of the reasons that I went into endocrinology. I had this patient as an intern at Bentob here in Houston. He was in his 20s and I was taking care of him and it, he had thyroid storm and he died and it was just a mess. And I, as an intern was in charge of the family discussions and I'm really connected with this family and it was just heartbreaking. So hyperthyroidism is not something that, that people want. That we want to iatrogenically induce by over-treating a mild, um, mildly elevated, you know, hypothyroid, which why is that so common in functional medicine in this space? So, you know, there is this myth that hyperthyroidism will enable people to lose weight. Oh my God. And so I see so many people who are like, I wish I was hyperthyroid. And I'm like, no, you don't. And here's why you could get osteoporosis, atrial fibrillation, and all of these other horrible things. But I don't think they're counseled on that. And, you know, in functional medicine, you have to remember that these providers, sometimes I feel like I want to, I am mad at them in a lot of, at a, a lot of times, but Sometimes you just don't know what they don't know, right? right? And so if you're not a doctor, or even if you're, if you didn't do a lot of inpatient training as an internal medicine resident or an endocrinology fellowship, I didn't, I didn't see a lot of endocrine patients as even an internist, you know? And so it's a really rare specialty. And so until you've seen those really sick patients, like I would be so scared to prescribe some of these treatments that these people 
Same. prescribe because I know what I know, but I know that they don't know what I know. And so they probably maybe think that they are helping the people, patients. I don't know. But, but anyway, so weight loss is one big thing that of course, everybody's striving for. And people think that being hyperthyroid will facilitate that. I'll tell you at this point in my career, I have seen more normal weight to overweight people with hyperthyroid than underweight because a lot of this is lifestyle, right? And so it's not the solution and it's definitely not a safe solution, even if you do lose weight. And hypothyroidism does not cause like a hundred pounds of weight gain. Okay. Like it causes some water retention maybe 10 to 20% weight gain, but not like I'm 400 pounds because of my hypothyroidism. Now, if your hypothyroidism makes you depressed, which leads to bad lifestyle, okay, then yes, it's kind of the root cause, but it's not just the hypothyroidism. So making somebody hyperthyroid is not going to fix that 100 pounds of excess weight. What it is going to do is cause other problems that we don't want to cause. So yeah, weight is a big one. And fatigue, I mean, people who are really fatigued think that they may benefit from overtreatment of hyperthyroid. But the thing is with these patients, we really need to get to the root cause of why Why are you fatigued? If your thyroid is normal, that's not, I think in endocrinology, and this is probably part of the problem. It's like we have five minutes with a patient, right? In the traditional healthcare system. And so I think that people get very frustrated when they go to the office and their thyroid is within range and the doctor says your labs are normal and then kind of shoves them out the door and they don't get any further support. And I get that, like that just sucks, but that doesn't mean that over-treating the thyroid is the answer. That's actually why my clinic exists. I felt like patients needed more support so that they don't seek out these alternative unsafe measures just because they didn't get a solid explanation and support from their doctor. Yeah. And when you say about the root cause, the irony is that that is like the, the entire trope of functional medicine is that they claim that they get to the root cause and us as traditional allopathic physicians, we do not. Um, and the irony is that, you know, obviously our entire goal is to help our patients by getting to the root cause and recommending lifestyle change and all these things. And you've already discussed, you know, the challenges in the current healthcare model, and neither of us are denying that that doesn't exist. It certainly does. And the patients are unfortunately the ones who suffer from the way our current model of healthcare is. It's just RVU-based. And the physicians suffer as well because they want to spend more time with their patients. It's just a very challenging, complex dynamic. But at the same time, the irony is that these functional medicine providers, so they're making up diagnoses and they're making up tests that people have to pay for to support these made up diagnoses or to over-treat or over-diagnose other things. And then they sell you supplements or a treatment for X, Y, or Z. And that entire issue is, uh, isn't based on them getting to the root cause. Uh, the, to get to the root cause of something, you have to actually really evaluate the person's underlying, whether the pathophysiology is caused from the organ in question or something else, um, not, mm-hmm. not finding, you know, these tests like the Dutch test or, uh, you know, or these other tests that are clinically insignificant based on research showing that they're clinically insignificant or that they're not statistically significant or they're not accurate. 
So mm-hmm. just providing a patient with an answer, even if it's a wrong answer, even though as a patient that may feel good, it's not necessarily going to be beneficial. And often more times than not, it's harmful. And I think that I always say this and all the time, I think I said this in a few other episodes too, is that, you know, we just have to focus for patients. You just, you are entitled to multiple opinions and you are entitled to finding a doctor that you jive with that does hear you out and does listen to you. And I don't discourage that. I say, keep seeking a physician that's evidence-based and, you know, if you have a thyroid problem, something, someone like an endocrinologist that's knowledgeable about this and someone that hears you out, I think that's part of the problem. But, you know, the issue is, is I think here, the crux of it is that so unfortunate that patients have been misled to believe that these tests and that also that, you know, why is their endocrinologist saying they, they feel like, oh, the endocrinologist is just blowing me off because my tests are normal, but this functional medicine person tells me my thyroid's slow. Mm -hmm. You know, so how do you address like that specific complaint? Yeah, so I think that I have the luxury of time. So it's, it's a little bit different and I think it makes it my job easier, but I think really helping the patients to understand what these tests mean. And it doesn't take long to demonstrate expertise. You know, if if I can tell my patient, well, this test is invalid because of 1,200 studies like reverse T3, 1,200 studies that demonstrate that it is not cost-effective or effective for use. And, you know, this is why and explain the physiology to them. Like I am the queen of pictures. So I, I do a lot of virtual. So I have this like whiteboard that they can see and I draw all the physiology out for them and really encourage them to ask questions so that they really understand what is going on. And I actually have YouTube videos on Hashimoto. So if any other physicians are out there that like don't have the time to explain this or are not endocrinologists, use those. Like they're free resources for your patients to explain this in more detail than than they'll get elsewhere. And, and if they're hyperthyroid and then you fix it, right? Like I have many patients that are like, oh my gosh, I was so miserable because I was hyperthyroid and I was being told that it was fine. And I was put on beta blockers and they were making me miserable too. And then you get them off of their beta blocker and you make them euthyroid and they feel much better. Like that obviously helps the relationship too. And then, you know, there's a lot of different formulations of thyroid hormone that are being used and really explaining to patients what those the differences between each of those are and why one may be better or safer than another is really important and most importantly <laughs> listening to the darn patient you know like sitting back and Absolutely. letting them talk and really understanding them cuz ultimately this is about the patients it it is not about me it's not about you it's not about the functional medicine doctor you know it's about the patients and totally. it's not about being right right it's it's it has nothing to do with that it's about patient safety and so really hearing them and making them the center of it all i think helps absolutely because there's plenty of allopathically trained physicians who are also making you know, not listening to their patients and diagnosing them inappropriately. And I think plenty of patients have experienced that. So it's not something specific to only functional medicine. It's everywhere. And there's a plenty of MDs doing functional medicine. So it makes it really, how is the patient supposed to know? How is the patient supposed to know and understand? It's it's mind boggling. It's so unfair. That's why in the podcast, we're going to just keep breaking all these things down. Can you actually go um, explain the difference between the different kinds of thyroid replacements? Yeah. Okay. So the most commonly used 
thyroid replacement is T4. So levothyroxin, synthroid, tyrosine, unithroid, all of those are T4 formulations. And when a patient takes it, the body peripherally converts it to T3 as it needs it. So most patients do great on T4 formulations and most patients do great on the generic form. The difference between the generic form and the brand name forms like synthroid, for example, is that generic levothyroxine is made in multiple different pharmacies. So one month, Walgreens may be contracted with a pharmacy in China, and the FDA allows a certain degree of variability in the dosing. So a 75 microgram tablet may actually have 76 from China and 74 from Mexico. Now, most patients are not going to be affected by that but some will, and some are really sensitive. So if patients are having, if they're being compliant with their medications, taking it appropriately, which is on an empty stomach about an hour before they eat, four hours separated from iron, calcium, and acid reflux medications, and their TSH is still fluctuating, then we might switch to brand name, for example, Synthroid, because that is more consistent. It's always coming from the same pharmacy, and so their 75 is always the same dose. And then tyrosine is a formulation that is dye-free. And so levothyroxine has tabs that are different colors that correlate with different doses. And some people actually have dye allergy and some patients may have absorption issues. So tyrosine may be a better option. There's also a tyrosine solution, so a liquid form. And Unithroid is another brand name. Those are the T4 formulations and the differences amongst those. And then we have Armour Thyroid and NP Thyroid, Nature Thyroid. These are desiccated pig thyroid. So I'm just so confused why it's so commonly used by naturopaths here. And like I, in all my medical training on the East Coast, all I ever saw was Synthroid or Libo. Yeah. And so this has been confusing for me. <laughs> so it has both T4 and T3 because it's pig thyroid. And, you know, there has been, I think, one study, maybe a couple studies, but I know there's at least one that armor can be used safely. So as long as it's monitored and the patient isn't hyperthyroid, it's okay to use this. Some patients may feel better with the combination of T4 and T3. Like what would be the clinical indication for someone to use that over like traditional T4? There is none. Yeah, okay. It's basically just patient preference, really. Yeah, so some patients may feel better because it has that active T3 in it. So there is a very small subset of patients that just don't do well on T4-only formulations. In my opinion, a more sophisticated way to prescribe T4 and T3 is to prescribe them separately. You can prescribe Cytomel or Lyothyronine, which is T3, separately from T4, and then dose adjust more smoothly. The problem is that's two pills, and some patients would prefer a combo. But the problem with the porcine thyroid is that they're not the same. Like the doses are not equivalent all the time. There's usually more hyperthyroidism in my experience. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. And there's more um, need for dose adjustments because the medication isn't consistent. The dosing is, there's not as many doses. These are dosed in like grains. And so there's not like for levothyroxine, we have a lot of different doses. So if a patient needs a tweak, we can give them a little bit more, a little bit less, but there's not as many dose choices. And these medications keep being recalled. Like NP thyroid is recalled like every, every few months, you know, and so due to bioavailability issues. So 
I much prefer my patients not to use those, but you know, since we do have some safety data on them, I'm not going to like completely decline using them ever because we do have some safety data on them. But it wouldn't be first line. Yeah, it wouldn't be first line, would not be my first, second, or third choice. <laughs> yeah. And then and then we have T3, so lyosirenine. So this is a something that we can add on for some patients. So really, this is a very short-acting medication, whereas levothyroxine is, has a very long half-life. And so T3, actually, if you're going to use it, it should be dosed TID, so three times a day. And so that's a hard thing to do. Most patients don't do it like that. They'll take it once a day in the morning if they just can't get over that hump of fatigue with T4 alone. But yeah, so those are the most common thyroid medications used. That's so helpful. There's also something else that I should point out that there's a ton of thyroid support supplements. Yes. Out there. Yes. The thyroid support supplements. Those are uh, everywhere on social media. Yeah. Terrifying. <laughs> so basically, um, I've seen a lot of different kinds of these. So, you know, when you read the label, sometimes it's just a bunch of animal thyroid extracts. I don't know how they get these on the shelves and like supplement stores, but that's basically like taking a medication, but it's sold as a supplement. And there's nothing more natural about that than anything that's prescribed in a pharmacy. And then some of them are just like whopping doses of iodine. Yeah, it's terrifying. So iodine is most of us will get it through iodized salt. You need like half a teaspoon of iodized salt a day to get sufficient iodine. Or if it's in your multivitamin, there's like a bit bare. Yeah, in your multivitamin in fruits and veggies grown in the US, like we do not see iodine deficiency in the United States like ever. <laughs> and so that's not really a big concern for most people. Obviously, if you're pregnant, you need a little bit more. It's in your prenatal vitamin. Please don't go searching for iodine supplements, especially if you're pregnant, because it can cause profound hypothyroidism, which can be very bad for baby. And so basically these iodine supplements, um, high dose iodine can cause profound hypothyroid or hyperthyroidism in an unpredictable fashion. So we see patients in the hospital with contrast induced thyrotoxicosis, they're dying, they need plasma phoresis, they have to have an emergent, urgent thyroidectomy, really, really bad and scary. Uh, and you really don't want to do that to yourself thinking that you're supporting your thyroid. Wow, that is so frightening. Yeah, the, the supplements, you and I both feel very similarly about the, the fear we have with the supplement industry and how it is quite alarming that supplements are allowed and they do not go through the same rigorous testing that medications do, because I always say supplements are like medications, except they're just not regulated medications. Yeah. Um, they're just not studied. It's at like, all. yeah. Or they've studied and been shown to not be beneficial. So it's just, it's just wild. I am definitely going to have to bring you back on the podcast to do an episode on, we haven't even touched on sex hormones where there is so much misinformation. Oh my gosh. If I hear the word hormone imbalance, ever. <laughs> There's no such thing as hormone imbalance. We're so much more specific than that. And hormone imbalance is just such a general generic term that, you know, it's like, if, if you know anything about hormones, the next question will always be, okay, well, what hormone is imbalanced? What hormones imbalanced? Right. 
And we did an episode with Jen, uh, Dr. Jen Gunter, who's an OBGYN who um, specializes in, you know, she does, she's wrote the menopause manifesto. And we were talking about how much fraud there is in this industry and talking about like all the different tests that people do for hormones. So I'm going to have to bring you back. Uh, I know that you and her definitely see eye to eye on a lot of this. So I have to bring you back to get the endocrinology perspective on both testosterone and, you know, obviously estrogen, progesterone, everything like that. But it was so amazing to have you to talk about. I mean, we got through two organs, so I think we did pretty good. I know. And there's so much. There's so much in endocrine. I feel like hormones are like the hot topic right now. And everybody is talking about balancing and optimizing their hormones. And yeah, so it's such an important space. So what is your what is your essentially take home message for anyone? You read a message, a post on social media that says, "Here, I can help you balance your hormones," or someone that's seeing one of these things. What what do you think the person reading it should do? I think take a deep breath and take a step back, okay? Because even me as an endocrinologist, I look at these posts. And I'm like, oh, this looks interesting, and I'm like, wait a second, this is complete crap, you know? Because it's like the salesmanship is strong here and marketing is really, really strong. So take a deep breath, take a step back and think about what your needs really are and what you're looking for and look at that person's credentials. So recently I have been really, really big on sharing this websites where you can check somebody's board certifications and licensure because a lot of functional medicine providers or providers of non-evidence-based hormonal therapies, in my experience, that I always look up when I see these patients is they have lost their medical license and they're not board certified. Unfortunately, though, what's what's so confusing for patients is that now in this advent of COVID, though, we even have like a board certified cardiologist. What's his name? The guy who went on Rogan and spread all the misinformation about the you know vaccine. And so even though that is a step, certainly, yeah. Unfortunately, it still is. It's not enough. It's not enough. That's the thing is that it's so tough. I feel like finding a provider that you can talk to, that listens to you, that like really hears you out, that you know practices, you feel at least practices evidence-based medicine, which is that's the hardest part to decipher for patients. I really feel for them, you know? I do. And it's impossible. I'm like, that's like we said, it's not the patient's fault because it is impossible. Because like you said- Yes, checking board certification licensure is something that we should all do, but it's not enough. And so it is very confusing. It's a confusing space. I would say if they say they practice functional medicine, certainly run the other direction because (laughs) as you and I both know, it is not even recognized by ABIM, which is uh, the American Board of Internal Medicine. So it's not even recognized and it's something, you know, fraught with a lot of misinformation. So I think that should definitely throw your spidey sense up. And I always say my other biggest advice too, is always if someone's going against expert scientific consensus with the entire, um, I was hoping you could also plug some of the uh, endocrinology society like your equivalent of our ACC and HA. Yeah. Because if someone's going against expert scientific consensus and all the guidelines, there's really something to take a step back and be concerned about. Yeah. So Endocrine Society has, which is our kind of governing body, I guess, if you will. Amazing. They have a ton of guidelines. And so if, if you bring up Endocrine Society and someone scratches their head, that's major <laughs> red flag. And then ACE, American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists is another big one that we should be looking at the guidelines. And the scary part is there's this big PharmD who has like the thyroid bestseller on Amazon. 
And I read her book and she's like a functional medicine person. I read her book and she, she cites those guidelines from ACE and in the text, the information that she gives is not actually in the guideline. <gasps> I have like, I read her book and I was like, I don't remember this from the, that guideline, opened the guideline, read it over and over again. And it's just made up lies. And so that's like, it's, it's really when I say it's hard for patients, I really feel for patients. I had a patient who's a cardiologist who read her book and obviously he didn't cross reference their the right. references because who does that except right. like me? Right? Yeah, and, yeah, so, yeah. and he thought it was true. Oh, and it's so hard. Board certified cardiologist. And so it's really, really hard for patients. So I can't say I have a perfect solution, but if you have any qualms or questions about anything, definitely seek a second opinion. Yes. I will with my patients, I always tell them if you need a second opinion, Agreed. please get one. Like it's if a doctor is offended by that, that's their problem, not yours. And it's your health. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So seek a second opinion and you know, do your best. And we're here to to help you out too. We are always posting on social media and, and doing podcasts and trying to educate you guys too. So follow along. Yeah. So let everyone know where everyone can find you and your YouTube resources as well. Yeah, for sure. So I um, am Dr. Arthi Thangadu on Instagram. And then I have a YouTube channel that's just Arthi Thangadu MD. And my website is sacomplete.com. I see patients in Texas. And um, I see all over Texas because I do pretty much all virtual. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining and for everyone listening. Certainly um, comment on the post of this episode if you have specific questions for when I bring Arthi back, because we can do an entire thing on sex hormones. What else are we missing? Give them some ideas. I think sex hormones are a big one. We could do nutrition and thyroid. That could be a whole episode. Oh, goodness. And we, diabetes, of course. Yeah. And, we, yeah diabetes, we haven't even touched on diabetes so much. <laughs> so comment on the post uh, of today's episode and let us know what you want us to talk about next time. Thank you so much, Arthi. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I would love to keep bringing you all the latest health and wellness information and misinformation to debunk. So please do me a quick favor and leave a five-star rating review and share with a friend. Make sure to leave a comment about which wellness fad you'd like debunk next, and I'll get to the bottom of it. Follow me on Instagram at MD and our podcast page at Wellness Fact Versus Fiction, and be sure to tune in next week.